Well, I want to welcome uh, our internet audience as well uh, to today's session, and we are studying, uh, this is week two that we're studying, emulating the character of Jesus, emulating the character of Jesus. Uh, and I, this has weighed heavily on my heart, uh, and I believe God has wanted me to teach on this series. Uh, and the reason for this is that you know that I have spoken to you uh, about the nature of salvation. God has kind of spoken in my heart about the nature of salvation. And the way I see salvation is I see it divided up between day one and day two. And day one is you are saved having nothing to do with anything that you did other than recognize that you were lost. And in your lost state, reaching out to God and saying, Father, I need a Savior. Father, help me. I am lost. I cannot help myself. And as you reach out like that, God reaches across eternity. He saves you. He seals you with the Holy Spirit. He puts you in his hand and promises to hold you in his hand for the rest of your life. Nothing, no power, no principality, no demon will ever be able to take you out of the hand of God. That is day one. Now, for the rest of your life, it's day two, up to maybe day 10,000. But it's day two, meaning what? Now the question is, you have been saved. Now God expects you to take up the cross of Christ and to walk daily with Jesus. And that means a life devoted to carrying the cross, a life devoted to prayer, a life devoted to sanctification, a life in which every day you ask God to come into your life, to continue to pour his spirit into your life, because you recognize that even though you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit in you is often like a pail with holes in it, and it leaks out over the course of walking in an evil world, and you need to be constantly refilled. And that is why in this walk in day two, you need to pray a hundred times a day. This is day two, all right? This requires willfulness. You got that? Willfulness, meaning you have to persevere and be willing to take up the cross and follow him. Now, many Christians, and this is why uh, I, I often ask about people, uh, and they'll say, well, that person doesn't seem to be saved. Uh, and we don't know who's saved and who's not saved. But all I can tell you is that many people are parked in day one of salvation, meaning they know who Jesus is, they've accepted him, but they haven't really carried the cross of Christ. And they're saved, and they will be in heaven. But the question becomes, when you go face to face with Jesus, uh, and, he, and he runs the videotape of your life, the last thing you want him to say when he looks at you and say, oh, John, I, I had such great plans for you. Oh, Lord, you don't want to hear him say that. And so if anything is on my plate as a Bible teacher, it's to teach you these things, to raise you up, uh, and to let you know that God expects greater things from you. He expects a walk. It's day two. And so I'm teaching you this series because everything in this series is day two. This is all day two. The very characteristics of Christ that we're going to talk about, you have the Holy Spirit within you to become emulating like Jesus Christ. You can emulate Jesus. You can be like Jesus. 
You can, you can walk like Jesus. You can be able to have the spirit like Jesus. You're not God, but God is giving you the ability to take these characteristics into your life. And so that's what I'm asking you to think about today as we go through this. And we go through these very various elements. Look, I'm not teaching you for intellectual edification or titillation. You're not coming here because you're, we want to be Bible scholars. You can go to a lot better places than me to become a Bible scholar. But you're coming here because through the Holy Spirit, God is going to teach you how to practically walk with him, how to practically become like him. This is what this is all about. This is about practical religion 101. Uh, and that's what I'm hoping that God will speak to you about. And so as I go through this series, more and more, even for, I wrote it months ago, and, I, and as I, as I pray over it, and re-edit it every week, uh, it, it comes strong, but comes back to me even more strongly that this is the, the will of God that he wants in our life. So, for example, we talk now uh, in the outline about uh, uh, line item three. Jesus was a servant. Uh, he was the ultimate servant. Uh, and though, although he was praised as a great teacher, uh, the characteristic that really represented who Jesus was was servanthood. He served. Even though he had every right not to serve, even though he could demand to be served, Jesus was a servant. Now, God wants you to be a servant, all right? God wants you to be a servant. And so I want you to begin thinking, even while you're here now, and this is a good time to start praying to the Lord, right now in this session. You know, this is one of the hundred times where you have to start praying to the, to the Lord. Lord, speak to my heart. What is it that you want me to do? What steps do you want me to take? What doors do you want me to open? You need to pray like that right now. And God wants you to be a servant. I want you to see what, what Paul said about the servanthood of Jesus. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. I love this verse, this section of verse. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and the congregation said, Amen. Amen. That is our Jesus. That is our Jesus. And so if you want to see the nature of servanthood, I ask you to consider the fact that here is God himself, the Son of God himself, that from the very foundation of the world, knowing that the world would be fallen and that the world would be to be saved, that he would advance himself to be the very uh, essence of salvation. That he would come as a baby in the most humble circumstances, God, being given to poor people, born into a manger, born there in the most humble aspects, and then walk in anonymity for 30 years, nobody knowing who he is, and serving his father as a carpenter's assistant. Not raising himself up, 
not elevating himself up, not speaking to the world that who he is, but some humbly bowing and then serving God for that ministry and in so many ways uh, bowing in submission to God. When I see this, uh, I, got, I have to tell you that I am overwhelmed by the servanthood, uh, the servanthood of Christ and the humility of Christ. Uh, and, and it's an, something that we need to understand. Here's the problem, that for a lot of us, we have not accepted the fact that God is expecting us to be servants. We want to be leaders. I like the fact that other people serve me. I want to be a leadership position. You know I ought to have this spot. The church doesn't recognize how talented I am. I can lead a lot of things. I have, a, I have great intellect. It's all about me, 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 me. All right, And that's the difference between you guys and the world. It cannot be about you. As we walk with Christ, it's about him. This isn't about us. It's about him. Everything that you do, every essence of your life, every breath that you take needs to be about him. So when you get up and you think about it, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Not what I want to do. All right? You think I thought I'd be teaching a Bible lesson? I'd be a Bible teacher in Naples, Florida? Look, I thought when I came to Naples, Florida, I'd become a good golfer. Well, that was a lie. <laughs> God spared me from that. You know, in my Sunday group, I'm teaching about the Antichrist, and one of the guys came up to me afterwards, and I had given the very names of the Antichrist, and one of them said, but will he be a golfer? <laughs> yeah, I'd probably be a really good golfer, actually. But, you know, God delivered me from golf, Okay. He knew I would never be any good from it, so he delivered me from golf, and, 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 I, and I didn't recognize it at the time, but I see it now, and that's the call on your life. So if you get out of this rut where you're thinking what you need to do to please yourself and start thinking about what you need to do to please God, your life will never be the same. You have the authority and the power within yourself to do this. You have the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Ask God to lead you, and he will do that. I want you to turn, if you would, uh, to Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. Jesus called the rulers, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There it is. There's the essence of a successful Christian life. Serving. Lord, how can I serve you? How can I be your hands? How can I be your feet? How can I go and do what you want me to do? How can I be the kind of man you want me to be? How can I show people the love of Christ? How can I show them what it means to be a Christian? How can I do this? And if you ask God in humble simplicity, the Holy Spirit will inspire you. Look, you have it already. The problem is that for most of us, we've turned it down. You understand what I mean. You know, turn the influence of the Holy Spirit down. I don't want to be a zealot. I don't want to be one of them holy rollers. All right, I got to live and walk in this world. I don't want people to think that I'm way out there. All right, hey, folks, I want you to be way out there because when you're way out there with Christ, you're right where you ought to be. You understand? You're right where you ought to be. 
And so instead of turning it down, I'm telling you now to turn it up, turn it up all the way, and then when you get it up all the way, pull the knobs off, okay? Pull the, no pull the knobs off, all right? That's what I want you to remember when you leave here. Just pull those knobs off, all right, so that you're fully empowered and saying, God, I'm yours. I'm yours. I'll go where you want. I'll say what you want. I'll be the man that you want. It's not about me. It's about you. Uh, and when you do that, he'll honor that. He'll honor that in every possible way. And so next characteristic of Jesus that we want to talk about is the fact that he was a loving person, a loving person. Now, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. The problem here is that for many of us, we've lacked the capacity to love. We've lacked the capacity to love. And the reason that, that we've lacked the capacity of love is that we, we've just hardened our hearts. We don't leave our hearts open. And so in many ways, we can't even love our wives. We can't even love our wives. We try to love our wives. We try to love our children, but we find it hard. You know, it's one of these things. This is how, we this is how man defines love. If you love me, I will love you. When you stop loving me, I stop loving you, right? That's the nature of the thing. It's like a balance. When I see it's over here and I'm getting good vibes and I'm feeling good vibration, oh, yeah, I love you. But all of a sudden, when, when the, the balance tips against me and now I don't feel the love coming back, the love is turned off. But that's not how love is defined by God. God defines us and tells us to love everyone, even love our enemies. Look, we can't even love our friends. You know what I'm talking about. You'll have lifelong friends, and all of a sudden, one of your friends will do something stupid, right? hard-headed, ignorant, and now many of us do what? He's done. I'm finished. I'm cutting him off. I'm not having anything to do with that guy. What happened to love? Well, I don't think I have to love everybody. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And so it's clear that, that God has, has speaking to our hearts about this. Remember what Jesus said, that there now are only two commandments. God has distilled, Jesus Christ has distilled all the commandments, all of the Ten Commandments, all of the 600-some rabbinical rules that have come out of the Mosaic Code. All of that has now been distilled by Jesus into two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Whoa. That's hard, Jesus. Love my neighbor as myself. What does that mean? It means think about all the things you think about yourself. How you want to advance yourself. And all the good thoughts you have about yourself. Even those that aren't expressed. Now love your neighbor that way. Ooh. I can't love my wife that way. Well, you need to ask God to give that love to you. You ask God, you have the authority with the Holy Spirit to have your life changed. This, this expression that I just gave you about the, the great commandment is found eight times in the Bible. How about that? Eight times that expression is written in Scripture. And James calls it the royal law. The royal law, meaning what? This is not an easy task. It's not easy to love your neighbor as yourself. It's not easy to love God with all your heart, with all your mind. What does that mean? It means even in dark days, oh, yes, the parade days, it's great. Oh, Lord, I love you. Thank you for all the blessings in my life. But all of a sudden, you're sick. The diagnosis is not good. Family issues pop up. And all of a sudden, that love of God is not there with all your might. And that's what God is teaching us, that we love him every season, in season, out of season, good days, 
bad days. We love him with all our heart, with all our soul, because we recognize that everything that he allows into our life is for our own good. For our own good, even when we don't understand it. And so here it is. You're walking in your life, and you basically, you have a, you have a hard time seeing what's 50 feet down the road. And you're making decisions, and God sees eternity. And so what he allows into your life is about eternity. And so you have to bow to him. You have to bow to him and say, Lord, within your sovereign will, Father, within your sovereign will, uh, it, it's so critical to me that I understand this. And so you see this about the love of Christ, how it imbued every aspect of his life, uh, how, how his love was so clearly defined by his life. Take a look at Romans chapter 5. You know, when I, I was driving here today, uh, and I'm praying to the Lord, Father, give me something that these men need to hear. And, and one of the good brothers said to me this morning, as he sees me walking around here, greeting the men, he says, you look like you have a lot of things on your mind. You look like you're burdened. And I am burdened, right? You know why I'm burdened? Because I have the responsibility to deliver the message of God to people. That's a heavy burden, all right? This isn't about John Garippa. It's not about me writing some message that I think will titillate you or lift you up. I'm not your coach. I'm not your coach. I'm not sending you out into the game of life. But i got to deliver the message that God gives me through the Holy Spirit. And that is a heavy burden. It's not about me. It's not a personal thing. It's about me bowing and letting God pour his words through me to you. So I need you to pray for me. All right? I need you to pray for me that God will allow me to do this. Because if I don't do this, i got to measure up to God. I'm going to have to speak to God. And I don't want to have to defend myself on something that I should, have, I should have known better. And so look at Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Actually, look, we'll start with verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, God, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You want to know how much God loves you? He loves you so much is that even while you were a desperate sinner, all right, in open and notorious rebellion to God, Jesus died for you on the cross. He had your name in his hand. Your name in his hand dying for you. That's how much God loved you. I mean, this is an, an amazing statement to understand the love of God uh, and how critical it is. I want you to read also John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And now Jesus again speaking about love. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you, I have told you this so that, you, you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you 
friends, for everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. There it is. If you want to show your love to Christ, if you want to experience the love of Christ, if you want to experience the joy of Christ, you walk in his love. What does that mean? It means you walk in the commands of Christ. You lead a life of restraint. You got that word? Restraint, meaning anything that comes into your head, any of these issues that come into your head, oh, that would be good. I'd like to go there. I'd like to do this. Maybe I can experiment with that. The answer is no, you can't. You can't because you're sold out to Christ. You have to live a life of restraint. You know his commands. This is part of being in day two, walking in carrying the cross of Christ. This is day two. And so as you walk that way, then you will experience the love of Christ. You will see it, and, and that love will permeate your life. And as that love permeates your life, it will permeate others. You will find yourself being able to love people that you never thought you could love. And I'm going to give you one of the key secrets to advancing yourself this way. And that is this. When you have been hurt, when you've been hurt badly, uh, uh, instead of thinking bad thoughts about the person that hurt you, instead of developing a spirit of hatred, I want you to pray for that person. What I have found in my life that the people that have hurt me the most, the people that have hurt me the most, is that when I began to pray for them, this poison was dissipated. When I began to pray for them. And that's the essence here of this love. That you need to pray for people who have hurt you. All right? You need to bow and pray and say, Lord, touch their hearts. Now, don't pray like this. Lord, beat them up a little bit so that they'll know what they did to me was bad. That's not a good prayer. Just a, just a good beating, God. Not, not a terminal, but a, a good, just a good beating would be good, Lord. They need it, Lord. All right? Don't pray like that, even though in your heart you know that's what you're thinking. But you need to say, Lord, forgive me, Father. Lord, touch them. Let them feel your presence in your life. Let them see the real you, Lord. Let them come to their senses. And God will acknowledge that prayer. And so the, po- the pain and poison in your life that keeps you from being a loving person will be taken out. You know, th- this Christian walk is almost like a heart procedure where you have a blockage in your heart. All right? And you know you have a blockage in your heart. You can't walk very well. You can't exercise. You can't do so many things until they remove the blockage. And the blockage is hate. The blockage is hate. So many of us have, have decided that we need to consume rat poison in order to hurt somebody else. That's what it's like. That's what hate is. It's you swallowing rat poison because you think you're going to uh, hurt somebody else. It doesn't work like that. The only thing that works is bowing, bowing in obedience uh, to God and asking God to give you a loving spirit. Uh, and, and here's another thing. Make allowances for people's humanity. How's that? Make allowances for people's humanity. Would you like people to make allowances for your humanity? Well, maybe not. Maybe you guys don't have that issue. But I know I do. All right? I know I do. I know that every day there's moments in the day when I get angry, when I will, will, not, when I will really exhibit anger, because anger is something that I've had to come to terms with, and when I might say things that are hurtful uh, and I could lash back, and, and I hope people make allowances for me because God wants you to make allowances for that. 
and learn to share in the joys and sorrows of others. You want to be a loving person? You need to share in the joys and sorrows of others. What do I mean by that? When somebody, one of the brothers has, has some good fortune in his life and God has blessed him, you need to be a part of that and lift them up, and take joy in it. I'm glad when I see our guys doing well. I'm glad when I see God blessing them. I'm glad when I see God using them. I take joy in that. I'm not jealous of that. I want God to use them and bless them. That's how you need to be. Participate in the joys, but here's the other part of that. Participate in the sorrows. When one, one, one of the family is hurting, one of the family is sick, you should personally feel the pain. You should personally feel the pain. When you know someone in the group, someone is hurting, you need to get on the phone and speak to them. You need to get on the phone and pray for them. And you need to let them know that you are walking with them. That is part of being a loving Christian, walking that way. And so I hope that this will resonate in your life, that God is teaching you a lesson on how he wants you to live. That's what he wants you to be. He wants you to be a person of love loving in every aspect, serving him, uh, and, and exhibiting this kind of love. It's extraordinary. The world will never see this kind of love. The world doesn't know this kind of love. The only kind of love the world knows is that kind of love that's kind of a lustful love. You know, it's like all of a sudden I, I see something chemically and there's a chemical reaction, and I see this person, and suddenly the, the chemistry goes off, and I love you. It's not love, that's lust. You understand? That's not love, that's lust. Love is a lifelong, deep-long commitment to serve the other person. That's love. And if you wonder why so many marriages go sour, it's because people have gotten married and never truly understood the nature of love. Okay? I mean, I'm amazed at churches, you know? It's amazing. You can get married today with like a five-minute uh, marriage ceremony, but if you want to get divorced, it takes like five years and hundreds of thousands of dollars of legal fees. <laughs> Only the lawyers win, and I think I can talk about that, all right? Why is that? Why is that? It's because we've gotten into these relationships without true love. It's when you come into a marriage and you truly love your spouse, that you treat her like you treat your own flesh, that you would not do anything to harm her, but to affirm her and to lift her up. Those are marriages that succeed for a lifetime. You didn't marry her. You don't stay married to her because she looks the same as she did when you fell in love with her when she was 21. But let me give you a hint. Take a look in the mirror. You don't look the same. I mean, literally, I get up in the morning, I look in the mirror, I almost want to pull an alarm. I don't know who's looking back at me. Who is this guy? It's me. What has happened? A formerly great civilization has been wrecked by time. And, and here's the thing. You need to understand this. All right? So don't go into these marriages and think, oh, yeah, well, look, oh, she doesn't look the same. She's not the same. Hey, brother, you're not the same. But when you understand this about love, and this is love as it is in the, in the marriage relationship, that there's a third person in every marriage with, with Jesus, and the third person is Jesus Christ, okay? The third person. You know, I don't have this written in my notes. This is actually God speaking to my heart right now, and I don't know why, but somebody out there needs to hear this. Jesus is the critical third person in the marriage, 
All right? And if you don't have Jesus in the marriage, then that marriage is doomed because two people cannot live together for life in peace. It's impossible. But when the third person in the marriage is Jesus Christ, and every time you look at your wife, I want you to think of Jesus standing next to her because Jesus gave you that woman. Jesus blessed that relationship, and you are a representation of that relationship to the world. That when you do that, then you will understand the true nature of love. Commitment. Commitment to the day that that person is called home. That's truly the commitment of God. And so here, when you understand this, as I, as I say this even in, in when I do marriage ceremonies, you know, it's like a triangle. It's like a triangle. And here we are, each a husband and the wife, on the bottom end of the triangle, and Jesus at the top of the triangle. And as we live our lives and look to Jesus and carry the cross of Christ daily to Jesus Christ, we begin to love Christ and show that love as we matriculate up the side of the triangle, we naturally grow closer to each other. Amen. It's a scientific fact. You move up the side of the triangle, the sides of the triangle grow closer. Only through the love of Christ. And so you need to have that kind of marriage. And so if you're sitting here saying to me right now, oh gosh, oh, you don't know the lady I'm married to. <laughs> no, but I know the guy she's married to. I know the guy she's married to, and here's the thing. I know the, the Lord that you serve, all right? And so here's what I want to tell you right now. You can make that prayer right now. Lord, change me. Help me, Lord. Help me to be a better husband. Help me to love my wife better. Help me to love my children better. Show me this essence of, of what you want me to be in every aspect of my life, Lord. Help me. Help me, and he will help you. This is what I call day two. Day two in a very straightforward way, understanding the call of God in your life. That's how your marriage will become strong, okay? That's how your marriage will become strong, and that marriage then will be an example to other people. They'll see that, and they'll recognize there's something different there. There's something different, and the something different is Jesus, and the love of Christ permeates that. And so in every aspect of your life, you need to become more loving. Ask God, and he'll do that for you. And now we come to a big one, a big meatball, Forgiving. Oh, God, buckle up. This is a hard one. You know, I can forgive, but I can't forget. You know people that say that? And unfortunately, like three-quarters of the people in church. You know, I can forgive, but I can't forget. Well, let me clue you in. That's not forgiving. Because when you forgive, you forget. And let me put it to you this way. When Jesus saved you, when he said that your sins are as far removed as the east is from the west, and he wiped out your sins, do you want Jesus to say, son, I have forgiven you, but I have not forgotten? Oh, no, Lord, please. That's not true forgiveness, and God doesn't say that. Because what God says is, I have forgiven you, and I have forgotten what you did. I have removed it from my mind. I, I have cleansed it from my memory. As far as the east is from the west, there's not one person in this room who can say that we have not sinned. 
There's not one person in this room that can't ask God to forgive him. And there's not one person in this room that can't bow in gratitude to God and saying, Lord, thank you for forgiving me for the mistakes that I've made in my life, for the hurt that I've given to you, Lord. I've hurt you. Thank you, Father, for forgiving me. And so now God says, now I want you to live that kind of life. I want you to be that kind of man. I want you to leave here and represent what I am as a forgiving God. Uh, And you see that even Jesus on the cross, even on the cross as these malefactors are surrounding him and they're pounding the nails into him and his life is bleeding away, even then he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I mean, really, even in in experiencing that incredible pain and suffering, uh, and and, uh, it's amazing when you see how Christ lived his life. Not once did he not forgive. Not once. Every essence of his life uh, was about forgiveness. Look at John chapter 8, verse 11. And here it is, and this woman caught in adultery. There's no question she committed adultery. And she's surrounded by the church leaders who have stones in their hand and are ready to execute judgment. And by the way, we church people are good at the judgment part, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. You're a sinner. We need, we need to expose the sin. We need to express judgment. And so these guys had no problem with this. Uh, and as Jesus said to them, if any one of you, verse 7, any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. That's what God says to us. Think about your own position in life. Where were you? How were you in terms of being a sinner uh, and what you did with your life when you start pronouncing judgment on others? Uh, And at this, it says, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Why do you think the older ones left first? Because they had the most sin. They understood. They understood exactly what happened. All right? They knew what the pains in their life were, and now it came home to them. Jesus convicted them. The Holy Spirit convicts them. You're right. I've done many bad things, and the stone goes down. And so now you would think, here's God himself. God himself looking at this woman who has committed this sin. And you know, under the Mosaic Code, it required death. That was death. Death is what the Mosaic Code said. Uh, And so Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where where are those that confronted you? He, has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now notice how he says it. I don't condemn you. You are forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. East is as far away as the west. I have no memory of this. You are forgiven, but leave your life of sin. Okay, You can't continue to live the same way you lived before. This is day two. All right, You're saved. You can't live the same way you do. You've been forgiven, and God expects you to live that kind of life. Uh, and so this is a big deal to God. This is a big deal to God. He planned it for us from the foundation of the world. Uh, and, and I want you to see... Uh, Uh, Matthew 18. Turn to Matthew 18 because you see the heart of God here as you understand forgiveness. And you got to love Peter because he always starts off and gives Jesus something good to talk about. Peter's great. Peter says exactly what's on his mind. He is uniquely transparent. All right? You got to love him. Uh, And he says some dumb things, 
all right? He obviously hasn't been paying attention to Jesus, but he's transparent and Jesus loves him. Uh, and I'd like to think that Peter represents us on how we would be if we were there. So verse 21, Matthew 18, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now that's the human way, isn't it? Lord, if you just tell me what the number is, I can live with it. Is it five, six? Because I got guys that are out there 10 and 12 times, Lord. I got people that are really in my radar screen, all right? And I think they don't need forgiveness. They need some punishment, all right? How many times, Jesus? Give me a number. How many times? And you got to love the Lord. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, 77 meant infinity. That wasn't like, oh, I got my 77, that's it. When I get to 78, I'm going to stop. No, that meant forgiving always in every aspect of your life, forgiving, all right? Now he tells the story, and the story shows you the heart of God. This is how forgiveness ought to be dispensed in your life. And read along with it. Jesus, uh, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he sold and all that he had had to be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. And let me just tell you what 10,000 talents was equal to. It was greater than the entire gross national product of Jerusalem for one year. All of the money needed to run the government of Jerusalem was greater was less than 10,000 talents. It was the kind of debt that if you were in the presence of Jesus, when he said this, you'd fall down laughing. You'd fall down laughing because, you know, it would be like somebody saying, one billion dollars, and you'd, you'd laugh because, you know, nobody could pay that back. Nobody could pay it back. And Jesus is showing you the nature of salvation. This is what God has forgiven you. And so this man now is told that your sin is forgiven. Now, how do you live your life? How do you live your life when your sin has been forgiven? Well, let's see what this guy did. Verse 28, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. That's like pocket change, Okay. That's like three cups of coffee and a donut, all right? Uh, he, well, not really, but I'm, I'm kind of exaggerating, you think? He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Oh, man, this guy looks like a lot of people we know. I hope he doesn't look like me. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. You've heard those words before. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant, and you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Oh, Jesus, this is a hard message. I didn't come to this Bible study today to hear something like this. 
I was hoping we'd toast some marshmallows, sing a couple of nice songs, be elevated. And now you're telling me that if this is the kind of spirit I am, that this is how you're going to treat me? I'm sorry to tell you, boys, that's exactly what it means. Now, can you be saved and still act like this? I'm sorry to say you can, because you see, you can be camped out in day one. You're saved. You accepted Jesus. You know who Jesus is. But now, in day two, as you're carrying the cross, as you're walking with him, as you're sanctifying your life, as you're praying to him a hundred times a day, you can't act like that. And if you're acting like this, and this is between you and God, you need to get on your knees and say, Father, forgive me. Lord, help me to be forgiving. Don't let me act this way. And so when you think about all the things in your life that, that you've been wrong, things that have happened, and you have an unforgiving spirit, and there are the people here right now who have still not forgiven people, whether it's a bad marriage, whether it's a bad business partner, and some of you have been hurt in church. Yes. Even church, even church. And what I would say to you is that you need to come and ask God to forgive you right now and to forgive them. Yes, forgive that church. Forgive that effort that people have done. Forgive that spouse. Forgive that business partner. If somebody has, has taken money from you, forgive them. Look, you don't lend them money again. Jesus isn't saying, well, then go back and do the same thing all over again. But he's telling you to forgive them to forgive them, all right? Because we can't live our lives unless we forgive. And you see how, how important it is to God that he will judge us this way, that this will be a measuring stick that he will use against us. And so I'm going to give you a couple of, of, of thoughts that I want you to think about in terms of this issue. I want you to have a practical application of forgiveness. I'm not just throwing something out there and leaving it to you to, to determine how to do it. But think about this. First, acknowledge the, acknowledge the pain. Acknowledge the pain. You've been hurt. Acknowledge it. It's not wrong to acknowledge it and give it up to God. And put yourself in the shoes of your offender and do to others what you would have them do to you. So the question is, you've been hurt, you've been offended, but now put yourselves in the shoes of that other person. What if you were in their shoes? Would you want to be forgiven? All right, and, it, and we forgive even before we get an apology. How's that? Don't say, I'm ready to forgive, but they have to come to me first, and they have to make a legitimate, genuine apology. Oh, it's good. It's good. That's good in the movies. It's not good in life, all right, because what you find is that most people who have done the hurting in many ways don't even recognize that they've hurt. That's how they live. And so we don't wait for the apologies. We forgive before the apologies because God takes it into his possession and he helps us. And remember that God forgave you. He forgave you. Uh, and, and that you are like that servant that was forgiven 10,000 talents. Think about the nature of what God has done for you and what he has given you. How great was that, said, that forgiveness? How great is salvation? Every time you don't forgive somebody, you're marginalizing salvation. You understand? You're marginalizing God's gift to you. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, and then remember God's command to forgive in every essence of your life, to forgive. Then let go of the pain. It's a big one because I find that some of us like to hold on to the pain. You know what I mean? It's like I've been hurt. I've been hurt deeply. 
and I'm going to hold on to it. Yes, God, I've, I've given you everything in my life, but I can't, I can't let go of that one closet, the pain closet, uh, and I need to remember that. No, you don't. No, you don't. God doesn't want you to hold on to that pain. God wants you to release that pain, to let go of it, and then continue to forgive. In other words, it's not a one and done. It's constantly continue to forgive. What I've found in my life, even where I've been hurt the most, uh, and in my personal life, uh, it's been about church. Uh, and when I've been hurt the most, what I've needed to do is to ask God continue to forgive. And I've found that I've had to continue to pray for people in other, other churches, uh, that God give them the wisdom to understand and know the nature of what they've done and what they're doing and ask God to give them wisdom and to give them peace and pray. I pray that God blesses them. I truly pray that God blesses them. Because if I don't do this, I can't forgive. You understand? I can't forgive. I'm not elevating myself. Look, I'm just like you. You don't think that I'm a revengeful, vengeful guy? You should have seen me in court, man. Man, I did things in court. They used to call me the prince of evil. All right? I had a guy who, who headed up one of the big governments in New Jersey who came up to me at a break in court because I was suing them and said to me, I want you to know something. The worst day of my life was the day you graduated from law school. <laughs> the worst day of your life. That's pretty strong words. But that's how I was. I didn't care. I would have done it for free. You understand? <laughs> I would have done it for free. It just made me feel so good. You understand? To be able to go there and just rip people apart. But you know what? Jesus said, stop it. Stop it. Forgive. Forgive. Let go of the pain. Forget the pain. Pray for people. Elevate people. Ask God to touch them. Ask God to lift them up. Ask God to bless them. And then pray for these people on an ongoing basis. And when you pray like that, with a transparency in your heart and a legitimate heart like that, God will bless you. And you will live the life that God wants you to live. You will be the essence of Jesus. People will see you and you will reflect Jesus Christ in every aspect of your life. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the words you've given us. Lord, this mirror of Jesus in our life that shows us how to live. Father, I thank you for Christ. I thank you for his life. I thank you for these characteristics that we could never aspire to. But you've given us the Holy Spirit that allows us, allows us the window to do it. And so, Lord, as these men leave here today, I ask you to let this message resonate in their life. Touch them, Father, to continue to lead them towards you in a closer way, carrying the cross of Christ, walking with you every day, Lord, in day two as we impact a world that is lost. Bless them this week. Be with them wherever they are. Protect them and let them come back next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.